the letter, Paul's letter to the Philippians this morning, we come to uh, one of my, my favorite passages, I think one of the most uh, profound passages in, in Philippians, Philippians 1, verses 9 through 11. Uh, by the way, uh, if you're interested, I, uh, I have a, in the, on the sermon outline that, I've, uh, that Steve has printed there on, on the back in the stool there in the back of the, the sanctuary, on the back of that or on the second page of that, I have uh, my translation of the text and my structural analysis of the text. You can see uh, what I have uh, deemed to be the, the flow of Paul's thought through this, which is the basis uh, for the sermon this morning. And so you can kind of see, and if you want, would like to use that, you certainly can to walk through, as we walk through the text together, you can follow along either in your Bibles or if you want to see that flow more clearly, you can use the sheet that I've, uh, the, that I've provided for you on the back of the outline. So Philippians 1 verses 9 through 11, if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word if you are able. So this comes on the heels, this still is in Paul's Thanksgiving section where we saw last time his uh, affection, his, uh, his love for the Philippians and his thanksgiving for them, his joy for them. And now we come to verse 9, Paul says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best, And may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You may be seated. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, Prayer is beyond question the highest activity of the human soul. And yet, for so many of us, prayer doesn't really feel or seem like a high activity at all. Prayer is something we so easily neglect, or we turn it into a rote repetition of words or a string of requests that we quickly fire off to God. As James Boyce once said, our prayers are often little more than Give me this, give me that, do it quickly, and that's that. We find in our text this morning a prayer of true substance. This is Paul's prayer for the Philippian church, but it's also uh, much more than that. It's also a prayer that we can all pray for ourselves and, and for fellow believers. This prayer, I believe, gets to the heart of what God wants for us as his people. And so it's a prayer that we can pray our whole life through again and again. It's a prayer that husbands can pray for their wives and and wives for their husbands. It's a prayer that parents can pray for their children. It's a prayer that, that pastors ought to pray for their congregations and that we, as disciples of Jesus, ought to pray for ourselves. As we enter into the text this morning, we can consider this prayer under three main headings, again, that that flows out of uh, that analysis that I've provided for you. And so I'm going to present it this way, the the what, the why, and the how. And so we'll see first the, you know, uh, what it is that we should pray for, and then secondly, how we attain, uh, or secondly, why we should pray for this, and thirdly, how we attain the blessings that the prayer describes. And so we, we see first... Uh, what to pray for. 
Paul says in verse 9, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. You see, that's the main thing. This is the, the main substance, the main petition of the whole prayer. And as that structural analysis shows, really everything else in the whole text uh, hangs on or flows out of this main thing. This is what Paul wants. This is the main substance of the prayer. This is what we ought to pray for. That word abound is an emphatic uh, uh, term that means to an excessive degree or over and above in abundance. In fact, it's, uh, and when it's coupled with that phrase more and more, it's, like it's, as, it's as superlative as you, as you can possibly get. It's like going to a concession stand and asking for a tub of popcorn. And the person who's manning that tub of popcorn uh, isn't paying attention and turns, it, turns, uh, turns away for a moment. And so the popcorn just keeps on coming. And pretty soon, that tub is filled up to the very brim, but still the popcorn comes and it, and it, and it stacks up and then begins to flow out over the, uh, over the sides. That's the kind of image that this word conveys. God wants us to be a people whose love is overflowing. As the old Latin preacher Bengal said, the fire in the apostle never says, it is enough. And that word, the word love here is that word we've seen so many times before, that Greek word agape, which is that the highest form of love, that costly love, the, the self-giving and other-serving kind of love. It's the kind of love that puts the needs and interests of others above your own, as Paul will say later on in his letter. A love that seeks to, to listen before speaking and understand before judging and, and give before receiving. So this is my prayer, Paul says, that, that you may love one another with this superabounding love, a love that just keeps on growing and keeps on overflowing, a love that is relentless and unyielding, a love that expresses itself in self-emptying service and self-giving sacrifice. And this ought to be our prayer. You know, all the time, throughout the whole Christian life, but especially now, this ought to be our prayer. When there are so many differences among us and so many varying and competing perspectives and so many things that would threaten to divide and, and tear apart the church, ought we not to pray again and again, Lord, let our love for each other abound more and more. That's my prayer. And I hope it's your prayer as well. Now, Paul goes on to elaborate on this kind of love, which in, in the NIV has a little bit of an awkward uh, reading, and I think it's not, uh, not quite the best translation. Uh, so Paul says that it's a love that is to be guided by knowledge and insight. So he says, uh, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. Uh, the NIV says, in knowledge, and, and it's hard to kind of wrap our minds around, well, what, is it, what does it mean for love to abound in knowledge? And I don't think that's what Paul is saying. You can also translate that word with, which the ESV translates it that way. I think that gives it a better sense. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all insight. In other words, uh, that a love that is guided by, informed by, accompanied by also knowledge and insight. And the word knowledge there is, is a deep and, and personal, experiential, relational kind of knowledge. So the love that we are to have as believers is not a, a genetic or an indiscriminate kind of love. It's not a superficial love that kind of puts on a pleasant face and ignores truth. 
It's a love guided, informed by a knowledge of God and his will. A love that's shaped and informed by his word. A love that understands biblical truth and dares to tell it to others even when it hurts. Out of concern for their eternal well-being. I remember when I was a boy, we uh, had a campfire one night at our cabin by the lake up in north central Minnesota. We, we often would do that during the summers. And we had a dog at the time, and, and uh, she was a, a golden retriever, and her name was Browning. Not, not brownie like the treat, but browning like the gun, because she was a hunting dog. And so we had a dog named Browning, and uh, as we had this uh, campfire at night, a bunch of people gathered around. Our, uh, our dog, Browning, got a little too close to the flames, and her tail caught on fire. But she was so, if you know anything about golden retrievers, you will understand this. She was so thrilled just to be in the presence of people, just to be part of the group, that she didn't even notice her tail was on fire. And so she just went on wagging her tail. And it was kind of like those, those sparklers, you know, the, the, on the 4th of July, you light those sparklers and you wave them around and they light up the night sky. That's what it looked like, her tail wagging and it's kind of lighting up, you know, with the, the sparks flying off, lighting up the night sky. And because she was oblivious to the fact that her tail was on fire, we had to take action. We had to put the fire out, which of course meant stomping on her tail, which she did not like, but it was, it was for her own good. We see as believers, sometimes the loving thing to do is to stomp on each other's tails. You know, we're, we're sometimes, I think, so afraid of hurting people's feelings or offending that we, we don't speak the truth to them. We, we don't call them back when they're going astray. We, we don't let them know that their tails are on fire. The love that Paul talks about, the love that God wants us to have, is a love informed by the truth of God and his word, and a love that is willing to share this truth, to do so graciously with compassion, but, but to share this truth with others even if it hurts. So this is what we are to pray for, that the God would create within us a, a self-giving and costly kind of love, a love that is guided by an intimate knowledge of, of God and his word, and that this love within us would abound more and more, would superabound, would overflow, and never stop flowing out. And that brings us then to our second question, well, why should we pray this prayer? Why should we want this kind of love? Or to, to put it another way, what benefits or blessings do we receive when God gives us this abounding love? And Paul reveals, as the text goes on, two significant blessings in verses 10 and 11. The first blessing that flows out of this abounding love is discernment. Paul says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all insight, so that, here's the, the first blessing, here's the, the first fruit that flows out of it, so that you may be able to discern what is best. Now, to discern what is best means to, to evaluate what is truly valuable on the basis of testing. 
So to evaluate what is truly valuable on the basis of testing, that word discern was used in reference to testing metals or coins. And so when you would test coins, you would, you would test them to see if they were made up of, of genuine metal, of pure metal, or if they were mixed with other things. And, and if they were found to be genuine, if they were found to be uh, worthy, found to be truly valuable because they were true metal, they were kept for currency. If they were not, they were tossed out. The same word was used also in reference to farmers testing oxen to make sure that they bought the best one, which is really sort of the ancient version of, of test driving cars, right? If you're going to buy a car, you, you do your research, if you're like me anyway. You check consumer reports, you check the reviews, you check the, you know, the, the history of reliability and all of that, and then you, you go to the lot and you, and you begin to drive them. You know, what does it feel like? How does it function? How does it operate? And how does it perform? And you do that process and then you pick... Out of all that, which is the best value, the best one. That's the sense behind that word discern. The more we are filled with a love that is informed by biblical truth, the better we'll be able to discern what is best, to evaluate what is truly valuable. You know, I've, I've mentioned to you before uh, how Lori is constantly clearing things out and, and giving things away. This is just what she does. Um, it's something that she has tried to instill in our children as well and also in, in me. Uh, so she often will, will bring a box to our, our kids and say, I want you to fill this box with things that, that you can donate, things, things to give away. We've got to clear things out. Here's a box. Fill it up with stuff that you, you're willing to donate or to give away. And when our daughter Esther was younger, she would often make what we, we you know, thought were really quite questionable decisions in terms of what she decided to put into the box to donate and what she decided to keep. Because she would put into that box like these really expensive dolls and, and you know, the, the, the Build-A-Bear bears, you know, the $30 all decked out with outfits and hardly ever used and these really valuable things. And she would choose to keep like little scraps of paper, and, and little broken Barbie dolls or Barbie shoes and, and uh, little trinkets that she got, you know, from the quarter machine at the grocery store or a little, you know, broken and dirty plastic figurine that she had found on, on you know, hidden in the dirt on some trail in the woods. And we thought, really, you're, you're going to, you know, give away this. You know, one year she gave away a bunch of the birthday gifts she had, she had just received like a few days earlier. She, you know, that, she, that went in the box and she keeps all these other trinkets and little things. And she had to learn how to evaluate what was truly valuable, though for her, in her defense, those things were, to her, truly valuable. But you get, you get the point. You get the idea. And, and it's really the same for us, isn't it? Whether, whether it's decisions about, about whom to marry or, or where to go to college or what career path to pursue or what books to read to our children or what, what to do in, in retirement with our time, we, we need to know how to discern what is best. How to evaluate what is truly valuable. And it means learning how to distinguish right from wrong and, and how to pick the good from the bad. But it also means beyond that, learning how to pick the, the best from the good. Sometimes you have a bunch of good options and you have to discern which is the best one. Which is most valuable. It means learning how to make God-honoring and kingdom-building decisions. And Paul really will, will kind of lay it out for us pretty simply later on in his letter in terms of, you know, how do, we, how do we do that? How do we really discern and evaluate what is truly valuable? Well, Paul will say that, that everything is rubbish. 
compared to the one thing, the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. And so the things of, of Christ and his kingdom are the things of supreme value, the, the pearl of great price, the, the treasure buried in the field. And so if you want, for example, to discern which person to marry, well, it's the one who's most closely connected to Christ and his kingdom. That's the, that's the most valuable choice. If you want to discern which career path to pursue, it's the one in which you can best glorify God and advance the kingdom of Christ with the gifts that you've been given. And so the first blessing that flows from this abounding and biblically guided love is discernment. The second thing is sanctification. Paul says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all insights so that you may be able to discern what is best. That's the first blessing. And here comes the second. And so that you may be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness. The word pure means literally to be unmixed. In reference to the Christian life, it means to have a heart that authentically and sincerely desires God and is uncorrupted by worldly desires. The word blameless means not to stumble and not to cause others to stumble in sin. The word righteousness in the context of this prayer, the Greek word dikaiosune, means, uh, means uh, doing what God requires, living a life of obedience to his word. You see, these are all expressions of sanctification. That's what Paul is talking about here. These are all ways of describing a life that is increasingly conformed more and more into the image of Christ. And this is really the goal of the Christian life, isn't it? This is what Paul labored to produce within the churches that he planted. I mean, again and again throughout all of his letters, he says, I'm laboring to see Christ formed in you. This is why I, I, I beat myself, he says. This is why I labor as I do. I, I want to see, I want you to be presented before Christ as that pure, spotless bride for the day, on the day that he comes. This is what God desires for us. We are to be ever growing toward the perfection that will only be fully realized in the age to come. Gordon McDonald tells about a time that he, uh, when he and his wife bought an old abandoned farm in New Hampshire. And they bought it so that they could build a, a country home on, on the property. And in order to do so, they, they had found the, you know, the perfect location on that, that, uh, the property of the, where that farm was and the, the perfect location to build their home. But that, that site was, was filled with, with big boulders and rocks. And so they began the process of, of clearing the site, of, of clearing the, the rocks away. And they started with the, the, the most obvious, the big giant boulders. They, began, they cleared all of those out. And then after those were gone, they, they turned their attention to the, to the big rocks. And they started to haul away all these, these big rocks. And when the big rocks were gone, they, they turned their attention to the, the smaller rocks. And they began the process of clearing those. And as they did, they, they saw more and more rocks that they hadn't even seen before. And as they did those, they, they, they saw even more pebbles and stones that they, they, were, they hadn't noticed. And on and on, and so it went, clearing away these rocks and stones. And the more they hauled away, the more progress they made. And so it was noticeably better than it was before. And at the same time, it never seemed to end. 
It was an ongoing, never-ending process. There were always more rocks that needed to be cleared away. Well, that's a picture of sanctification. Clearing away the, the sin in our lives and, and starting with the, with the big stuff and then dealing with the smaller stuff. And, it, and it's a lifelong process. It requires ongoing attention and it's hard work and it's sometimes tedious. And we, and we never in this life fully arrive at perfection. There are always more things to clear away. But slowly and surely the rocks are cleared away. Slowly and surely the sinful nature dies and Christ is formed in us. That's the second blessing that flows from an abounding and biblically guided love is the blessing of sanctification. And that brings us then to our final question, and that is, well, how do we attain the blessings described in this prayer? How are we filled with this love that, that results in discernment and, and growth and sanctification? Well, the short answer to that question is that it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You see, it, at every turn in this prayer, we, we see that it all comes from God. Paul says that the fruit of righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. And of course, Jesus himself said the same thing to his disciples in John chapter 15 when he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. It is only in Christ, only as we remain connected to the vine, that we bear the fruit of righteousness. And the ability to discern what is best, to evaluate what is truly valuable, well, where does that come from? It comes only as, as God reveals himself to us through his word. And, and what about the, the love that abounds more and more? You know, the love that is the wellspring, wellspring of all of these blessings. Well, how do, we, how do we get that kind of a love? Well, it's only possible when we, when we grasp the depth of God's love for us. As John said in his letter, we love because he first loved us. You see, this is how we attain the blessings of this prayer. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's by getting to know God better through time spent in his word. It's by knowing his love more deeply through time spent in worship. The more we know of God and his amazing, incomprehensible, as Paul says, the love that is beyond knowing, the more we know of God and this kind of love, the more our love will abound. And the more our love abounds, the more we will grow in the gifts of discernment and sanctification. And so really it all comes down to, if we, if we want to, the fruit of this beautiful prayer, it's, it's knowing God more through time in his word and in prayer and worship. Shortly after World War I, Lawrence of Arabia was in Paris with some of his Arab friends, and he, and he took uh, time to show them all around the city of, of Paris, you know, all the, the wonderful, beautiful things to see in Paris, and, but they weren't really all, at all interested in, in any of these things. They, they didn't care all that much. The thing that captivated them the most was the faucet in the hotel room. Because you see, coming from the dry land of Arabia, they were amazed at such a wonder. You know, here's this, this thing where you just turn a handle and water comes out. As so they kept turning it off and on again and watching the water flow, and all they have to do is just turn this handle and there's the water, all the water that you want. 
and it blew their minds. And so a few days later, when they're getting ready to leave, Lawrence, uh, you know, they're getting stuff packed up, and Lawrence found his friends in the bathroom trying to detach the faucet. They were going to bring it back with them to Arabia. And they said, hey, you know, all we need to do is to have this faucet, and then we, in our dry land of Arabia, can have all the water that we want. And Lawrence had to explain to them that it wasn't the faucet itself that produced the water. The faucet was only a, a conduit, only a vessel, that the, the real source was in the, the whole system of water underneath the city. And that's the way it is in the Christian life. The blessings of this prayer don't come through external practices alone. They come from the hand of God through Christ to those who earnestly seek him and believe. Which is why Paul ends his prayer the way that he does, sort of the, the culmination of it all, the very last phrase, the last note on which, uh, on which he ends his prayer is to the glory and praise of God. It is God who makes our, our love abound more and more as he pours his love into thirsty hearts. It's God's word that gives us the insight to discern what is best. It's God who works in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, sanctifying us and growing us toward purity and blamelessness, making us into that spotless bride for the day of Christ. It all comes from, from the hand of God, and so God alone gets all the praise and all the glory. It is really a beautiful cycle if you think about it. Andrew Murray once said that in prayer, we are putting our supplications into the bosom of omnipotent love. In prayer, we are putting our supplications into the bosom of omnipotent love. If ever we wonder what to pray, if ever our prayers grow old and stale and tired and bored, if ever we feel like thirsty travelers in a weary land in our spiritual lives, let us pray this prayer of Paul. It is a prayer that we can pray our whole life through. Let us put our supplications into the bosom of omnipotent love and then come before him with open hearts and empty hands ready to receive more fruit than we ever dared to dream. Let's bow together. Lord God, as we come before your throne this morning in a time of silent prayer and response, I pray, O oh Lord, that we would invite you by the power of your Holy Spirit to fill us with this love, this self-giving, costly love that is guided and informed by a knowledge of you and the truth of your word. Oh, Lord, may we invite you to fill us more and more and more with this love. Lord, hear our prayers as we silently offer them to you this morning.
Lord God, may our love abound more and more with knowledge and all insight so that we may be able to discern what is best, to evaluate, assess what is truly valuable, and so that we may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness, that we may grow in our sanctification, that we may become ever more like that pure, spotless bride that you desire us to be. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ alone. Oh Lord, may you do this work in us. And may it redound to you, to your glory and to your praise, to the glory and praise of the God from whom from whose hand all of these blessings flow. Lord, may we never tire of praying this prayer. May you never tire of delighting in granting us these things for which we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.